0: Hey, I've got a question for you. Have you ever been told that you did something like a girl? I have, and it always stings. It stings when someone tells me I've done something like a girl. It also stings when I see someone else be told that. A woman friend, my brother, one of my sons, a best friend in high school. It's really not ever used as a compliment, but I actually think it's time it should be. And that's what we're talking about today. May and I are gonna dig in to gender and why it's associated with leadership and how we can do better by thinking about feminine and masculine leadership traits as part of a non-binary tool set that we all need to lead people. Let's do it. In a world where workplaces are sometimes toxic for people, and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules. How do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Let's Make Work Human, we discuss how organizations can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author. And I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, Mayrats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, partnering while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We're on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud.
1: Hello. Hello, May. I'm so glad to see you. Yes, you too. I'm excited about our topic today. Tell us what the question is. Yeah, well, here's what
0: I've been thinking about. And you and I have had many conversations about this. And it has to do with gender identity and leadership. And my question is this for you this week. Why is leading like a girl or lead like a girl the best advice that every people leader out there should get. Like, why are we not telling people leaders that they could
1: improve their
0: impact if they led like a girl?
1: Oh my God. <laughs> don't you think that would be pretty good? <laughs> that would be so wild. Yeah, I, why don't we ever say that? I've never heard that ever. No,
0: I've never heard it said either. And of course, you know, I recognize that saying girl for people like us, we are women, we are not girls. I get all that. But I'm really, I was I really enjoyed when they came out the always... Like mm-hmm. a girl advertisements for always maxi pads, which were for those of our listeners that haven't seen them, they were these really powerful videos about what happens when girls hear all the time, like a girl, like a girl, like a girl. And they, they reverse the, the ads where they start with, they say, you know, throw, throw this ball or jump this jump. And they, and they do it in kind of a, you know, not very good way, like a half ass way. And then near the end, they're like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to throw like a girl and they, and they just kick it. You know, they're like, this is how a girl does it. And I just think it's super powerful. Um, And I also think about the idea that the feminine qualities of leadership, which are like a girl, like that's what we people who identify as women have inherited in many ways around legacy are some some of those qualities of leadership are the ones that are the most necessary today. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't we aren't really talking about that um, and attributing excellent leadership. Of people to qualities that are feminine, and I think it's about time we change that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, those commercials just make. There's a UK version and there's a US version, and they both will just make me start sobbing immediately. There's a moment in those ads right in the middle where like the tone changes, you know. Yes. And they ask the this brother. Yes. Has a sister. Like, do you think since you just said like, throw like a girl and it looks like that, that you're insulting your sister? And he says, no, he's like completely separated what it means to throw like a girl and what it means to be an actual girl. And I think that is very, that's part of this leadership thing is like that we've separated leadership from like being a person, you know, right. Being leading like a girl. Sounds so derogatory. Yes. But we are not against women leaders. No. Right. So what why don't we encourage women leaders to lead that the way that they can with the the quality? That
0: they they can with the quality they can, which can be really badass, just like throwing the ball really well or whatever, you know. And but also men can lead like a girl, yeah. And and need to. I mean, we spend a lot of time working with men who have been enculturated to lead in different ways and are needing to learn about yeah. what I would say are feminine characteristics of leadership that will help them be, be more successful, like emotional intelligence, like empathy. And that I love that moment in the commercial when the little boy says that because they say, do you think that saying that your sister throws like a girl is derogatory? And he goes, no, no. And then he goes, oh, well, yes, sort of. <laughs> <I totally laughs> Yeah, he's like
1: 10. <laughs> he's
0: like, like, he catches uh, himself. Uh, it's like, well, actually, yeah, it is kind of, you know, the not very nice thing to say. Um, <laughs> and, and I just love the way they turn it on his head about like, this actually can be a good thing. And I, I feel like in the realm of people leadership in particular, it's just something that we aren't talking about, which is the marriage of the tool set of the masculine and the feminine that is so necessary. And and we should probably, as I said that out loud, I realized we should probably like qualify that. We're talking pretty specifically of like people leadership, not yeah. just leadership in general for like someone who's leading a social cause or someone who's you know a politician for me that's different than the leadership realm that we work in which is about leading people in an organizational context
1: yeah and I think I would push back and say that the same leadership qualities that we're talking about that are held as the greatest and best and most successful are heralded in those realms also being aggressive and alone like You know, all of those things are also there. So why not also can these other feminine traits be used in those realms? Because I don't think they're praised as often there.
0: No, not at all.
1: And and we're also, there's also a difference between what we're talking about in terms of feminine and masculine traits and men and women. We're not using those words interchangeably. That's right. for, For a reason.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And, and I think it's like, well, how we attribute certain characteristics of how we show up at work particularly with leadership to being more akin to the masculine or the feminine which we know i mean is we know it's a binary construct and there's a spectrum around masculine and feminine but but we're not we're not talking so much about gender identity here as we are the attributions that come with those leadership qualities yeah And the attribution of like a girl around leadership is pretty bad. But actually, I believe that those leadership qualities, those feminine leadership qualities are
1: critical. Totally.
0: Are critical. And it makes me wonder, like, how did we get here where good leadership is attributed to masculine gender gender identity or even gender identity broadly? Like, how did these two things get connected? Answer that for us and then we'll just wrap
1: (laughs) up. in great no fashion, I think I would push it back to you in terms of, we talk a lot about the Athena doctrine, even just what they are. So will you tell us what the masculine traits are and what the feminine traits are? Well, the reference that
0: May just made, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, to the Athena doctrine is a body of work. It was a research project that resulted in a book by two researchers, Michael D'Antonio and John Gerzima, and they did a pretty big study, a global study, and they looked at two main things. One was they took a broad list of leadership characteristics and they asked half of the study group, which I think was 10,000 people, which of these characteristics do you consider more masculine and more feminine? And then they took a different study group, another 10,000 people, and they asked, of all of these combined leadership qualities, which ones do you think are the most critical for the next 50 years of global leadership? And what they found was that the characteristics that were seen as feminine were definitely correlated to be not only the most important for leaders to possess for the for future organizational success, but they also were correlated to happiness and to being better for society. And those included things like humility, curiosity, empathy, connectedness, patience, long term thinking, collaboration. Those are just some, I don't have it in front of me now. The masculine traits, which weren't unimportant, like those didn't fall totally off the list, but the masculine traits that were seen as less significant as a corollary to both leadership impact in the global economy, but also to happiness and communities that thrive were things like logic, analysis, individualism, decisive action, short-term thinking, urgency. Those mm-hmm. were some, some of those characteristics. So for me, that's really powerful to think about if we think of these as characteristics, like you said, not as you know being ascribed to gender. For me, we see a consistent pattern to what we encounter with our clients, which is that those more feminine characteristics are often the ones that our leader Clients who come to the leading people program and come to us for coaching are not as skilled at their muscles are not as strong with both men and women and other gender identities that come uh, to us are not often coming for the masculine skill set to be developed. They're coming because they're needing help with more of those feminine traits of leadership, which are undervalued and under taught.
1: Yeah, well, they're much more. Uh, no, nah, I'm, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I think they're much more nuanced traits. hmm. They require a larger systemic view of what the community needs, what the we requires in order to fully understand what is necessary and what tools to use, right? Like you can't use a hammer every single time. So you got to know what tools you have and what the community actually needs. So they're nuanced, interesting skills, but they're hard. And I think feminine, these feminine leadership traits also get, I think, interchanged with soft skills. They get called soft skills. Which kind of chafes my booty, to be quite honest. (laughs) Like, it's just, they're not that soft. No. If you've ever had to do some community organizing, Um, yeah, no, not that soft. (laughs) I find it much easier to have rugged individualism myself than I do to take community input and then take action they're hard they're really hard skills so to go back to your question about like where I think it came from just myself I I think somewhere we abandoned the community we abandoned the we that we are you know I'm thinking about like whales and how when one is sick we are sick we are all the thing you know and somewhere along the way we have abandoned that that matters and that 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 long view is actually fruitful. And I'm not really sure when that happened, but there is also that there was a lot of men in leadership and a lot of women doing community organizing and volunteering. And all of a sudden, money became the decider. And I think that hurt us. You know, when money became ultimate power and money became the deciding factor, and the people who weren't making the money couldn't make the decisions. Then all of a sudden I think those skills fell off in importance of yeah. like, well, you can do that if you want, but over here to make money, we have to do these things. And I'm seeing that in my own community. I, I joined this all women's group and we had a very long conversation around how do you where do you value volunteering mm. in your community? And the the conversation was very interesting, but really the undertone of it was like, what about this soft skills that I have gathered makes me valuable? Mm. and am I valuable somewhere along the way we told people that leading like a girl wasn't valuable so if it's not valuable then it's not useful in the work so where it came from I don't know but it's messed up that showed up
0: right well yeah I mean I think you're spot on around like the value right and and I agree 100% about soft anyone who's listening could talk to any of our clients and say like how easy was it for you to learn empathy (laughs) you know how easy was it for you to to longer term thinking and be collaborative with people. How easy was it for you to be a good communicator and to listen and be patient? Like, it's not easy for me, like I find that stuff hard because I like to do, I like to problem solve. And um, and I like to use logic sometimes much more than I like to use emotion, which frankly is a little bit more tender and a little bit more expressive, so, so yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think you're right, 100% that these skills are, you know, let's stop calling them soft skills. We don't call them that anymore. They're hard. Anyone who's tried them is hard. And you raise a really interesting point, May, about like, is it capitalism? Like, is it the for profit, the exchange of money as the primary currency for value that's contributed to to these traits being undervalued in our society, even though, as we saw in the research from the Athena Doctrine, and we also see it in public examples of where the feminine leadership in business, politics, and industry is so strong. We also see it in like what's being taught in schools today, where we've got educators really focused on social, emotional learning for all children okay. um, to give them more of those skills that are attributed to the feminine. So, you know, we have this upsurge of value of these skills now. I notice. I don't know if it's so much just capitalism, but I also can't help but think about the legacy of like moving from agrarian societies to Mm -hmm. industrial societies, and also who had the power in the systems of church and state. And you know, in particular, for Mm -hmm. so long, in, in the positions of power were men. And and also, I'm struck with the Western European mindset of like westward expansion and pioneering spirit, which is where a lot of the characteristics that Mm-hmm. The Athena doctrine team defines as masculine come from our inherited notions of Western white and cisgendered and hetero culture, which I think all of us are impacted by. We learn how to be that way because it's what works in our society, decisive to be logical, etc. In our Western society, not yeah. as valued in other societies like Asian societies or indigenous societies or... Yeah. You know others, but in ours it's valued. And so then I think the overvaluing of those then resulted in a degradation or an undervaluing of those more feminine traits, as well as I think for me, there's this, maybe this again is industrial revolution, but it's like the squeezing out of anything to do with human beingness
1: yeah.
0: from work. Like human beings, it's like the model of treating human beings as machines that made those masculine traits so successful. And if we think of people as human beings not machines then the feminine traits are absolutely essential you know so i guess i guess it's an evolution and a, an inherited story perhaps around the attribution and i'm really struck with how it doesn't help any of us totally yeah, well,
1: yeah. We- i've just been in some conversations with some of our male leaders in the LPP about when when it's their words are when is it appropriate to show emotion and that sends up a little red flag for me around like appropriateness tells me that you want to get it right that there's some perfect way to do it which cycles back into this like oh you feel like you're not doing it right which tells you that you're not good enough which tells me that the system has messaged to you that emotion makes you not good enough so you have to find the right place to do it but you and I often like talk about how there's no (laughs) <laughs> like when does your work life turn off and your like life life turn on and then when does your emotion life turn on you uh, that hose is always running at my house so I don't I don't know like I'm the worst person well, the the picture, like, response. it's well, not always appropriate though which is like also the b- double bind it feels like is that we still are in a system that tells men and women that there is an appropriate time yes. to use their soft skills. What, what's up with that? So. Or, or to reveal, reveal. everybody.
0: Well, right. Or to reveal their tender hearts, you know, like in, in that way and certainly not at work. I do think though, that women, we as women, I can speak for myself, but I've also seen this in like the work of Deborah Tannen, the, uh, Jennifer Bosom, who's a university of Florida research talks about how men are given much less room for emotional identification and expression than women. And so, and I can say as a white woman, I feel like I was given a pretty wide swath of permission as a young girl to express emotion. I know now that it's a physiological response and that across the whole gender spectrum, we all feel the same physiological responses, but I feel like if I compare myself to some of my family members and friends that I feel more free to express an array of emotions compared to my male counterparts, my sons, my my husband, and I, and they've reinforced for me some of the messaging they got, like boys don't cry, mm-hmm. man up, don't let them see you sweat, you know those kinds of things, which which create a very narrow way for men to have emotional expression, which of course plays out in the workplace um, mm-hmm. where they get pretty bound up in that, and I think feel un- unseen because they're having the same emotional feelings that we are, but they're not given as much room to express.
1: Which is such a wild thing, isn't it? That the line they have to walk is that they can't go outside of their band of emotion that's allowed for them or appropriate as the word I was using earlier. And if they keep it together, they are a good leader. There's so much reinforcement there to stay within your band of um, allowed emotion. No
0: anger. Except for anger, right? Which able to express but they're not given room to express many others. So yeah, that's what appropriate looks like. But then for women there's a very very different message around yeah. emotion. Like what do you what are the messages you got about emotional expression, for example?
1: Oh yeah, they're all allowed. They're yeah. all allowed except for anger and conflict. All those messages also did not come from my parents. My right. parents were like, here's the full band, drive the highway, you know. But out there let like- well,
0: me do it. My parents were pretty emotionally expressive, but I, and I was encouraged to do that, but I, I definitely anger and conflict were not as supported. Um, but also the, those, that emotional expression, that tender side empathy were not skills that as a young leader, especially I was seen as like, they weren't seen as positive characteristics of leading. I was definitely cultivated to develop more of the masculine traits and to force myself to assimilate into that way of showing up as a as a people leader, I think, as a younger in my career and and to like not index on those more feminine traits.
1: Yeah, like you'll learn to control those. Right. You'll learn to control those someday. And that'll mean that you are a more mature and like seasoned leader. Yeah,
0: <laughs> oh, that. there was a little flaw in that rationale for me as a woman, I don't know about your experience, which was that if I really got good at assimilating to those masculine traits, then I would be things like logical, decisive, assertive slash aggressive, like my male counterparts. And what I have experienced myself and also seen with so many women that we've coached and that have come through the LPP is that when they show up that way, it falls flat. They are seen as the bitch, they are seen as cold, and uncaring if they're showing up with those same traits. So that that's a double bind as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, it always, it always leads back to me about like what little girls see and that there's so much talk about representation matters, representation matters, representation matters. And yeah, we need to see faces that look like ours. We need to see women in places of leadership. We need to see that. And also they're not fools. They can see when a woman is not expressing or able to express traits that they as little girls have right So they either get the message those are not allowed or yeah. that oh I'm not like her and they can in the other way see when men are not doing that right so it's like, oh there's no, there's none of those things up there so maybe I don't belong there just not true. You know, if we're really trying to push to solve very, very large problems. Then I don't think it's just representation of faces and bodies and experiences. It's of the bodily experience that you're having of the way that you lead. Yes. Uh,
0: and and w- because we know what it creates. Right. Mm -hmm. When we lead with a more balanced approach, like with a combination of those feminine traits that we mentioned and those masculine traits, then I think we get the whole package, you Mm -hmm. know, the whole package of an effective leader. And I'm always struck with you and I've talked about this story. I was really touched when Barack Obama won Mm -hmm. his election the second time around and was filmed thanking his team and a teardrop from his eye, which was, I found very connecting. I was like wow he's inspired to to tears in his gratitude for his team it didn't erode for me my admiration of him as a leader of of our mm-hmm. government etc but he later took a lot of heat for you know being too soft you know that he had cried and i and i think that that's what happens often that's where what men are saying when they say where can i show up this way and and so it's like what are we doing <laughs> that we are making each other be incomplete with mm. the blend of the masculine and feminine characteristics that make up our identities all of us you know we, we and, have
1: all of yeah, these space and tricking ourselves to think that we don't have the other ones right like we are on some under some weird illusion that we all have these bad things that we get rid of in order to be a good leader Mm. and then we like <laughs> get all the good ones I mean this reminds me of the conversation that we've had about the the hero's journey mm. which has rubbed us both the wrong way and then we like finally admitted it to each other in like the last couple of months but that it's very masculine in terms of not male but masculine traits of that yeah. you go alone you take one sword you do it by yourself you handle the very large dragon and then you go home and everybody loves you and then you do it again right? like what all of all of that just is missing so much number one context and number two like the team right. and what what also the sword is just there's a lot I got a lot of questions about the whole story but it's I think that's part of it sword. Is that the, sword, up, the armor. yeah we grow up on things like that like yes. we grow up on things like like those giant hero stories even star wars You know, even Harry Potter to a certain extent. We grow up on these stories that are one hero and everybody else thinks they're cool. And the reason that hero is so cool is because they have control over all of the things that are bad in them, which is emotion, caring too much, dwelling too much on what the team thinks, empathy, you know.
0: Well, right. And they have to sever themselves, you know, the classic Joseph Campbell hero's journey. They have to sever themselves from their community, they have to leave their people to be alone, to go through hardship, in order to come back and bestow their wisdom upon the innocent plebs that are waiting. Like that's, <laughs> sort of the, that's the gist of it, you know, like, this is what we model leadership. Of. It's funny you say that, because I was with a client today, um, who's in the high tech space, and a big client, a big name client. And they we were having this conversation at the break, because the topic came up of Elon Musk. And Steve Jobs and one of my clients who's vice president was saying, you know, why are these our leadership models, these narcissistic heroes who go out there and do these, you know, incredible things, but actually are not collaborative, are not lifting anybody up, are are completely obsessed with themselves and their own focus? Why are these the people we admire? And I was listening, thinking, yes, I have that same question as well, because that is not the model of leadership that we know is actually good for society and good for businesses and good for schools and good for hospitals. That isn't the kind of leadership, actually, that helps
1: or works like it has worked in those instances, right? Like (laughs) it seems very rare that those tools would work. Yeah, But
0: But we like idolize it. As opposed to we don't idolize as often, I think that the people that are building genuine by and by the cause or building communities of, you know, richness and, and vibrancy that people are flocking to work for, we, we aren't celebrating those. Leaders in the same way, and I think it contributes to this bias to the binary of which leadership traits we over-index on as good. And I think it underserves all of us.
1: Oh, I totally agree. One of the things, as we've talked about, women leaders is this thing that you have said that has stuck stuck with me for a long time is that they have to go it alone, that mm-hmm. they have to stand alone, and that feels. As a millennial headed into her career, I feel so, that feels so unappealing to me. I don't want to go it alone. I don't want to stand by myself. I don't want to. It's not because I can't take hits. I can. It's that I, that feels unappealing and it feels very akin to high school drama to me. It feels very akin to the mean girls that if you, if you can't set yourself apart, you drown there's no place for you. And I just don't think that's real. That didn't work in high school. Thank God high school ended. But I don't think that's real. It can't be. How do we solve problems that way? So I, don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, man, it gets complex,
0: right? Because there's a piece where, where we say, you know, even in my own self, I say, you know, I really believe that we should be telling all leaders of all gender identities to lead like a girl. And what I mean by that is to own and and um, use successfully these feminine traits that are so powerful at building teams who care and vibrancy in organizations, like I believe that. And then I also can see myself saying, well, there are negative feminine traits too, just like there are negative masculine traits. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. one of the feminine traits that I think is is the most difficult at times is the mean girl phenomenon. There was a great book I read years ago, I don't remember the authors, called Trip the Prom Queen, Tripping the Prom Queen, which was about like female to female competition in the world of work. You know, how this, this notion of scarcity that kind of begins in adolescence, according to Deborah Tannen and others, and, and as women start to differentiate where we don't actually treat one another very well, it becomes a competitive fight for the seat at the table or the men or, you know, being prettiest, being thinnest. And I think it creates a lot of loneliness for women yeah. with regard to other women, so I don't really know what to make of it, other than scarcity certainly makes it worse. Mm-hmm. You know if I think there is only one seat at the table or one position on the cheerleading team or whatever, then I'm gonna do anything I can to get there and maybe not look back and maybe that's
1: the thing is that I'm just thinking about women in business and and people in business and saying that you know yeah, we need to figure out what these traits are that actually make good leadership. But right now we're saying to so many people that really are good at feminine leadership traits, that those are just not good leadership. You want to be a good leader. You have to go it alone and you better start getting good at these masculine traits. Like all there's like four lies inside of there. Wouldn't it be interesting if we instead use the skills that we have, which is like very, are building community and showing empathy and what if they also made money Right. Like, right, going back to our money conversation. Ooh, right, listen to the podcast if you want to talk about Mo and May's money issues. But we, women also are allowed to make money. Right. And what if the merging of those skills made money for everyone? What if you could solve problems by merging those skills right. and validating and valuing those skills at the equal rate and using them as tools instead of weapons?
0: Well, and we yeah. Absolutely, and we know that communities do better, and communities do better when women have money because of what women do with money that they have. Mm-hmm. They reinvest it in community, um, and in family, and that's why you know um, investment in development is so powerful when women you know are engaged. Um, but I think that there's a dark side. To feminine culture, I, I I think well here's where I land on it a little bit. May around the mean girl phenomenon, I think it's connected. And again, I can only speak from my own experience as a white woman. I think this experience might be different for women of color, um, for Asian women, etc. But as a white woman, I can relate to not feeling like I had the chops for real meaningful conflict resolution. Mm. So I think that makes an environment of mean girlness that much more possible. Because if I don't have the skills to say to a a woman in high school or someone on the swim team in college or a colleague I'm working with, like, hey, I'm struggling with the way you're showing up or I have a bone to pick with you, I want to work through a conflict. If I don't have the skills to do that, then I am really at risk for being passive aggressive, which is kind of the epitome of the mean girl phenomenon. Like, I'm not going to tell you to your face that I think you're terrible, but I'm going to tell everybody else. You know, mm-hmm. which is based on comparative shaming and destructive habits that are that are rooted in difficulty with handling those hard feelings of anger, of frustration, and and conflict. So I, I think that that's a place where women have a lot to you know, where the feminine traits have a lot to learn from the masculine traits, which mm-hmm. is like how can we stand comfortably in dissent, in disagreement, and
1: move through it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just think too about Dr. Bernie Brown talking about how it's all about getting pushed out of the group. And if you assume that or you understand your group of women as being very fragile and your place in there being very fragile because there is only so much, then why would you risk getting shut out? It doesn't seem worth the anger, right? And frustration and conflict that it's going to take to show up in a very brave way that with your fellow women, right? Which yeah, it makes me think you know, about people that say like, well, yeah, I'm not very good at having relationships with women. I'm not very. I've never had any girlfriends. So. I'm a tomboy. I'm, a tomboy. I mean, like, yeah. I'm not like a girl. I'm not like yeah. a woman. I don't have those skills on purpose.
0: Right. I've heard that too.
1: they garbage.
0: Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, right. Which is an interesting piece about assimilation, right? Like how far Have I gone to becoming one of the guys, you know, which I can relate when I was working as a wilderness guy, I can relate to feeling like I had to be, I had to be in favor with the men because there were mostly men that I was working with. And I think in the business world, certainly, and in medicine, I think I've seen clients and colleagues say the same thing. Like I've got to
1: be friends with the men because otherwise I'm in trouble now. But there's something there that like men then can't be have feminine traits right that's what the assumption under that is is that like if I don't assimilate to them they're not going to assimilate to me right because they can't right (laughs) which is such a disservice to your mom well
0: right but you but are you saying like I assimilate to the male culture but I'm not going to allow them or I'm not going to give them room to to assimilate to feminine culture
1: Oh, well, that too. But I'm also just assuming that they won't.
0: That they won't, right. Right.
1: It only flows one way.
0: Yes. Well, and some of that's about feminine expectation as well. Like I don't, you know, I'm all about, I, I remember um, again, Brene Brown telling this story at one point about that a man came up to her at a book signing early in her career and his, his wife and daughter had come through the line and he was the last person and said, you know, I want to know, does your research include men? And she said, it does. And he said, well, I just... I want you to keep researching that. And she asked him like, why? And he said, well, because, you know, I really like your work and my wife and daughter love their work and they're all about vulnerability with me right up until I fall off my white horse and then they want nothing to do with me, which I think is such a tender story when we think about, for example, like right now, this time we're living in where we have such a mental health crisis globally in the post COVID-19 era, we have the highest incidence of gun violence perpetrated by men, highest suicide rates by white men, highest opioid rates. And where and men are not given anywhere near the room that women are to get mental health help, to say, I'm depressed, I'm an addict. And so like, what are we creating by reinforcing the mythology that it's binary? I, we're just, we're not getting it, anywhere.
1: Totally, yeah.
0: <laughs> we got some work to do.
1: We got some work to do about this. I don't know if I solve any of those. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we are. I mean, I guess what I'm sitting with is this, <laughs> and I know we need to wrap up this podcast. But I'm what I'm sitting with is in our work and in the world we touch. Both, you know, as parents, right, but also mm-hmm. in our work with clients, if we can give more spaciousness for mm-hmm. there to be more tools in the shed for all of us, so mm-hmm. that. Someone who's raised who feels they've got a lot of solid tools in masculine leadership approaches from MBA school or their surgical residency can also grow their quiver. You use that word recently and I love it to, to include empathy and patience and collaboration, then wow, that's awesome. And if somebody who has those tools really solidly behind them can also learn to become more action oriented or more decisive or more rational, then that's a good thing too. So I think we do, we can solve this by impacting the leaders that we work with and helping them assemble a more robust toolkit. That's my story and I'm sticking with it.
1: <laughs> well, I I feel, I feel heartened that you think that we can solve it. I'm an optimist at heart, so I'm with you. I think, too, part of it is valuing and really noticing when those traits show up Mm. Um, and not missing the exit ramp, you know, like noticing when you see that sign on the highway, when you see a people leader that does the thing that you're looking for, like praising when things go well. Absolutely.
0: And I'm really struck with this conversation around my own tendency to want to be binary you know especially around the genderization of leadership traits and saying to myself like as a result of this conversation i'm thinking you know what actually mo it's not binary like women and men and all gender identities have these traits within them it's a matter of how they get expressed and what works in leading people so i think that's it's helpful to push against that binary construct we we inherited you know so thanks for helping me feel a little a little more optimistic too Mm, you're the best though.
1: Aww, Thanks for taking. Me too. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.
0: If you're a woman, leader, or entrepreneur who's listening to this podcast, you might be really interested in a special event I'm offering in January of 2023. It's about time that we did it our own way. And I'm offering an exclusive in-person leadership retreat for women leaders just like you. I see you out there striving to lead the way that you were born to lead and still bumping into outdated, patriarchal notions of what it looks like to be good leading your business, your team, or your company. Check it out and go to mocarick.com backslash January-exclusive-women's-leadership- dash event. Again, moCarrick.com, January exclusive women's leadership event with a dash between each word and get your hand on the list for the limited number of seats that are available. Hope to see you there.